Uh, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to talk to people from other cultures, and you know, hopefully uh, bridge that gap between cultures that foster our understanding of other cultures. My name is Nosayari, and welcome to another episode. Uh, today, I have yet another guest. Uh, he is a community organizer. He, he cares really much about diversity. He cares really much about his community. Um, he's more or less a man of the people, if I can say so myself. There's uh, there's certainly a sense in that, yes. Yeah? Yes. yes. Okay, I think I can. I mean, I've known you for just like, what, a few weeks now uh, since I moved to Denver, but um, I've heard a lot of people say a lot of good things about you, and I'm privileged to have you here today on the episode. So welcome, Benzel. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, how's your week going so far? How's it been? We we call uh, we call each week whirlwind. Uh, <laughs> in so many different ways right now. It's, each uh, week, I I say each week. It wow! Just, so there's no week that's just calm or anything. I'm gonna get there. I'm okay. gonna get there. I I have this saying that I I often say, which is I have time to sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> take it easy, uh, man. Take it easy. <laughs> I, have a, I have a mission, uh, certainly, and and a lot of you know. I'm gonna just just as a like a quick story and, and where that came from. In uh, December 11th and 12th of 2011, I had uh, 17 flatline heart attacks. What? Uh, doctors, yeah. Seventeen one seven. One seven. Wow. One seven. So the doctors didn't find anything wrong with my heart, uh, specifically, you know, any of that kind of thing. They, the only real explanation that they had was that I beat sudden death. And, uh, you know, so I, I've, I've taken that experience, uh, as, you know, to me, and I didn't see, you know, white halls and people come and talk to me. And, you know, I don't have a cool story that way is, is, uh, maybe some people do, um, but, you know, I, I, I did realize uh, three things. Uh, one, that I'm, I'm blessed. I knew that I woke up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm loved. There was a hospital room and, and messages from many, many people. And, uh, and, and that I was clear. Um, I didn't understand what that clarity meant right away. Uh, but that I was, I was very clear. But the other takeaway from that is that, you know, that I was given a second chance for, you know, for a reason. And I, I really held that as like that there is a duty and a responsibility uh, mm. that I feel in my life and on my shoulders uh, larger than myself or my own self-interest. Mm. Uh, so when you said like a man of the people, I, I, I do, you know, I do hold that. And, and there's, you know, there's there's pieces in there where I'm like, gosh, sometimes, you know, working with and in for community mm-hmm. uh, can be thankless at times. It can be. You know, it can be a lot of things, uh, but there's there's certainly a duty that I feel to change uh, the way that, you know, we are interacting with each other and the society around us for certain. You know what? That's interesting. And that might give some of our listeners uh, an insight into the kind of man you are, because someone that goes through that kind of experience, most people I would say, if I can say so myself, that goes through anything similar to that, you know, having a heart attack or being in the hospital, having like a life-changing experience, come out of it being selfish in a good way. Like 
wanting to take a deep breath to enjoy life more or enjoy their family more, making it all about them because they realize life is so fragile. But you talked about having clarity and having realizing your duty and responsibility to others even after that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. There's uh, you know the the other side. So I uh, my my life's mission and vision really is is one healthy generation of children. It's been that for some time. Uh, it's what I you know it's a, I share that vision inside of my my company as well. Uh, so that I never lose sight and focus on, on what we're really, the work is really about and like who it's really for, you know, but I am a father, you know, I'm the father of, of three, uh, biologically and, uh, one certainly that's, uh, that's, that's coming into my life and in a much deeper way. And, you know, and many other kids that, that call me big bro or, you know, uncle or, you know, any of those kinds of things. And uh, through, you know, whether it's blood family or community family. And uh, uh, but, you know, in my own children, it's something and, and I know it's tough. You know, it's it's definitely been hard for them in some way to have to share their father with the, the community, with the, mm-hmm. you know, with the world in a, in a different sense. And. Uh, you know, and I've had to deal with <laughs> had to deal with some of the backlashes uh, of that, and you know, and I hope that it also provides them some kind of foundation for understanding in their own their own journey and, and how they uh, interact with the world. And you know, each of them, but you know, I often say that my oldest son Dejave saved my life. You know, wow. who I was prior to oh, he was your first child, so my first child. You changed after you had him. Who I was before that was really that selfish person, mm. fully, fully. Uh, I, I, you know, I did what I did. I did it for, you know, the full personal gain, uh, you know, all of those things. And, you know, and, and I still was playing, even though I had removed myself from kind of the old life uh, that, that I had back in New Mexico. Um I, I certainly hadn't matured beyond, you know, when you hold a human life in your hand that you're responsible for, mm-hmm. uh, it something physiologically actually changes Jeez. inside of you. And, uh, and that was, you know, it, it, I said, oh shit, excuse my language. Uh, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a podcast. So <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> I said, oh shit, like I'm responsible for this human mm-hmm. being. And this is my son, you know. And uh, so, like I said, my oldest I often say saved my life. Uh, my daughter who came next, Najah Bay, uh, 14 months later. Najah Bay. Najah Bay. Wow, that's a beautiful name. Najah Bay, semester name. Yes, angel goddess. Uh, wow. You know, I say often she saved my spirit. And she's the one who now challenges it the very most. Your son saved your life. Your daughter saved your spirit. My spirit. Wow. I, I think so because she she taught me, you know, something about the, you know, the loving a woman, and uh, and how important they are to the very fabric of everything that it is that that we do. Um, I, I certainly won't say that that I'm perfect in that sense. Uh, and I could, you know, depending on like, you know, how deep or whatever we wherever we go inside this interview, you know, there's things that 
I don't necessarily, uh, I'm kind of an open book in a lot of ways um, when the questions are asked. And so, so I, like I said, I won't say that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination and that, but I, I, I really think that, you know, as men and me as a black man, I, I think that modeling and really standing and stepping up and not just being a financial provider, right? But but how do we protect our women and our children? How are we guiding, guarding, and governing in, in really meaningful ways, even if it's not in the best situation, right? Uh, you know, married and, you know, financially stable and, you know, all of those things. But, you know, even in not the best situation, how do we make sure that we are there for our, our children, for their mothers, you know, and, and even in the sense of the larger uh, kind of community so that, that they uh, are not feeling alone. And that's a far more common experience uh, in the, the uh, African-descended community born in America than it should be. Um, and, and I don't know what that, you know, the culture pieces, you know, and, and other other places around the world, I just know, you know, I, I don't know it intimately, I should say, but I, I do know that, you know, that we oftentimes are not there in the way that, that it is. And, and that oftentimes, to be honest with you, uh, that there's nothing more that we would want as black men than to, than to be in that space. Uh, but many of the systemic pieces, many of the cultural pieces kind of prevent us from doing that. And I think breaking those chains, breaking those those patterns, those cycles, uh, is is very important. And uh, and so that's the reason I say that she saved my spirit. And then uh, and then my youngest son, uh, Benzel Kali Junior. Uh, yeah, Benzel <laughs> Junior, uh, blessed Prince Warrior, uh, is you know he he completed like just completed me, right? Like there was this missing piece through the, the totality of the experience and, and him getting here uh, and just who he is as a, as a human being um, is true greatness uh, that, that I probably am not deserving of, but he's just a phenomenal person uh, in, in really all ways. And, uh, and I just say that, that he completed me. So, um, yeah. so I mean, they are the center of my universe, uh, you know, as well as my family. And and so, you know, bringing it back, I mean, I think that that duty to make a better world is, is me selfishly caring for myself and my family. Because if I leave the world in the same condition, or I haven't at least tried everything mm. that I can. That it won't be better for them. It won't be better for them. Mm. And and I believe that they have, you know, everything that they need to be like our, our next generation. Uh, I hope and I and I truly believe in my heart that, that they have, you know, the opportunity to, to really make this a different place. Make it a different place. But it's it's on our shoulders to uh, to to give them the foundations to okay. be able to do that. Yeah. Wow, it's it's uh, amazing to hear you talk about your family, your children, you know, like that. There's something, you know, my mom has said a lot of things, you know, in my lifetime, but one of the things I always remember her saying, and she said this, you know, many, many years ago was, when you have kids, you understand. Mm. Like, I think I was acting up, I was doing like, she tried, she just like 
when you have kids, you understand. Yes. Like there, there's no way I can explain <laughs> explain to you. And you're not in your head because I know you're a father. <laughs> so you you obviously yes. understand where she's coming from. But sometimes I sit back and I think about it, and I was like. You know, I try to be, I'm this person who's like kind of like open to other cultures. I'm always open to learning. I'm always trying to, you know, be accommodating to other people. I like to believe like, um, you know, cognizant of other people's emotions to an extent. Um, but, you know, when she said that, I was like, really? So you mean I still have a long way to go uh, regarding like when I have kids? Because it'll be different from whatever I think it is like right now. Yeah. And how I live and how I do things. So yeah, there's I I admire men who understand that. And you know, I I had children far too early in life, right? Um, you know, my first child came at 22, and uh, so I mean, I guess it was better than some, but you know, I certainly wasn't ready for the level of responsibility that it that it takes. And so men that really understand that for having children, I think are in a much better position to weather the complications of it. And I wouldn't change any one of my children's births uh, uh, for the world. And so, yeah, I, so I, I honor that. And, and at the same time, I laugh because my mama told me the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> okay, cool. Let me ask you this. Um, and feel free to answer with like one specific word or maybe just a few words. What does happiness mean to you? Hmm. It's a really phenomenal question. All that you can. All that you can. Yeah. That sounds like it has a lot of meaning to it. All that you can. Yeah, I mean, if I had to, you know, I mean, say it out even in short, it's, it's, you know, when I look back at, at, uh, you know, stories, whether they be movies or books or people that I've known or, you know, experienced in whatever way, I don't think that happiness is like this place that we arrive at one day and now we're happy, right? <laughs> I think that it's this constant. This constant journey, this constant, uh, uh, you know, doing, and it's it's always those that didn't give their best, mm. the saddest, right, um, or mm. the most disappointed, or the angriest, or the that have regrets, you know, that have those regrets. Mm. Um, you know, I, I spent too much time at work. I wish I would have given my best to my family. I this, I that, I you know, so. Whatever those things are, those regrets, I think, come from this place of, of not giving your best. Yes. You know it in your heart, even if the outside world doesn't see it that way. Okay. Okay. What does community mean to you? It should mean unity. Core word in it. I, I think that what it does mean is what we make it. It's really the best way that I can say that. Um, you know, we don't live in a utopia. I don't know that that's even like that would even be interesting. I, I you know, I, I don't know how to think about that. That's like a bigger thing to think about. But, you know, so unity, though, um, you know, we make what that is is going to be. And so I can I can reflect that from a cultural sense. I can reflect that from a, a neighborhood sense. 
from a uh, you know a group or association type sense, right? And and so it's it's what we it's what we make it, um, you know. In any one of those contexts, uh, I just think it's what we make it. Okay. That last word. What does freedom mean to you? Even better. To me, freedom. One word would be ascension. That sounds a little spiritual. Yeah. I mean, it, if we don't, if we don't understand like a spiritual nature, I don't care what you practice. I, I mm. really don't. Um, but there is, there is something bigger than us that governs us as a, uh, as a culture, as a universe, and, you know, however far it goes, right? Um, and uh, I have my own personal beliefs that, that aren't necessarily important, um, you know, but yeah, there's definitely a, a spiritual sense that is my foundation in all things, you know, but ascension, I, I say that word because because that's really what freedom is. Like whether it's an economic freedom, we ascend to a place where we're, we're able to, you know, money no longer becomes like the root of what it is that we are bound by. Uh, whether it's a, a freedom of the mind, uh, we are no longer bound by, you know, that, which means that we've ascended, whether it's a, a freedom in the sense of, of a society that we live in, you know, which is a thing that I, I greatly value about. America and, and living here and being here is that we really truly do have freedom. I mean, we can talk about a lot of things that are wrong. I mean, yeah. it, the land just, of the free, right? But, you know, knowing that we're not, that it is what we make it, um, in some way. And I think that, that, uh, that freedom is, is, is a destination. Um, whereas, you know, happiness is not, um, I think that freedom is a destination because, you know, I mean, you could be in prison and free, right? Is is you, in some way, free your mind, right? And and so, uh, you know, or free your spirit or whatever else it is. But uh, but ascension, I think, is what I would, I would wrap that way. Oh, that's interesting. The freedom is a destination, but happiness isn't. You you know, you strike me as a really thoughtful guy, a really spiritual guy. You care a lot about your community. Now, but let's take it back to like way back. Like, talk to me about growing up. Where did you grow up? Talk to me about your parents, your siblings. Who was young Benzel? Mm. Talk to me about your dad. Why were you named Benzel? You know, let's get into the the beginning. Uh -uh. (laughs) Yeah, I told you I was open book. Now you're gonna get it. Okay, Uh, let's go. So my, my birth name, like, you know, I, I put C Benzel, you know, or C period Benzel. My birth name is actually, uh, Colin, um, which my mother gave me from the secret garden because my father was not, uh, was not present either, you know, either before or, uh, during or, you know, for three years after my birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was three before I met him. Um, my mother gave me my birth name. However, I'm the oldest boy uh, from my father. Uh, I have one brother from my father and another seven sisters. 
uh, that we know of. He was in Europe for a while playing pro ball. So, uh, oh. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and this was what in the, right, right. <laughs> I was born wait, in '79, so this was uh, way before the iPhones and the cameras. Right, so. right, right, right. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, so there's that. I have one sister uh, from my mother, but you know, years later, uh, when I was 18, and I actually. Uh, you know, came up here uh, to Colorado from New Mexico. I, I Yo, you were born in New Mexico. I was born in Denver. Denver. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I was born in Denver, went to California. I'll, I'll go through that. Uh, uh, then I was in New Mexico for a while, came back to Colorado in 2000. But uh, anyways, he, you know, he told the story of, you know, of uh, his, you know, his oldest son was to be named Benzel Kali. Uh, and that's why my son carries, you know, Benza Amir Kali uh, is what I gave him to honor his mother and, and let her uh, put the, the insertion of Amir in there. And uh, anyway, so that's where my, my name came from when I found out what I was supposed to be named. Uh, and every other sibling that I have uh, was named by their father. Uh, you know, I, I, I took it uh, because I think. You know, ultimately, it's it's my name, uh, but Colin is what I was. Uh, Colin is what I was born with, and uh, became CJ. So, so as I was growing up, CJ as in Colin Jimerson. Yeah, CJ. Okay. So, uh, you know, growing up, I, I grew up confused. Mm. Uh, my mom's. Uh, I, I'm a mixed race child, uh, so I, I understand. You know, the, the, my mom's family are, you know, cowboys and ranchers and doctors and lawyers and attorneys on the East Coast and mm. uh, West Coast and, and much of, you know, those in kind of the, the Wild West are, you know, they're all ranchers and, and cowboys. Uh, and so, you know, I grew up my first eight years really immersed inside of that culture. Oh, uh, wow. With, with uh, visits to the to, to Denver, where my father's family uh, is and uh, was and is. You know, How many siblings do you have from your mom's side? One. One. Okay. One sibling from my mom, different father. And, uh, and then, like I said, I have eight siblings from my father. I'm the oldest boy. I have uh, two older sisters, one from my mom, one from my father. And then... My brother is just eight months younger than me, so you can read into that. Uh, and then sisters all the way down the line after that. So my youngest sister is actually the same, right in between the age of my daughter and my son, uh, my oldest. So, yeah, so I, I, I would say like the easy way to say it is I was confused, but... Mm -hmm. Um, so if I, I'm sorry to cut you short, if I can make an assumption here. So your mom was Caucasian and your dad was black. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Just wanted to mm -hmm. clarify on that. So I, I grew up in, in a, you know, that I grew up a cowboy, uh, the first eight years of my life. Uh, you know, we moved out of Denver shortly after I was born into Colorado Springs. We were there for five years. Uh, then my mom started, uh, going to, School started out at Greeley, went to Sterling for her master's, and uh, uh, as she changed careers, and um, those are, you know, they're they're very homo homogeneous places, uh, mm. we'll, we'll call it. And so I, I can remember my third grade year, 
really well where there was me and one other child of color in the entire school mm-hmm. uh, where I think I got in about eight fights. I had wow. a teacher, Ms. Meyer Holtz. Uh, this was the 80s. So. This was the 80s, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, small town America. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a really crazy time. But I, I remember one thing, like the biggest gift outside of, of also understanding, right, like that there's there's been many positives that are a part of my mom's family and, and understanding that I had opportunities um, to, to see things, understand things. Uh, you know, there's a fair amount of wealth there, uh, you know, those things. And, and uh, so the experiences I got were, were really phenomenal. Um, but I was also very confused because I know I looked different. I was treated different in many ways. And, and so my mom raised me with, she said, there's no way I can raise a black man. Mm. And especially without my father being there and those things. And, and so she handed me books. Frederick Douglass, Benjamin Banneker, Malcolm In X. In the third Martin. grade? <laughs> I was at seven years old, wow. six years old. I was, I was reading these, uh, you know, these things. Uh, so, you know, education was the very most important thing to her. Uh, but yeah, in second and third grade, I started reading those and, uh, you know, all the way through fourth grade. Um, and, uh, and then in, in fourth grade, she uh, we moved to California and a place called Indio. Sorry, let me ask you this before you mm-hmm. talk about the California story. Sorry again to cut you short. I just want to touch on the you being confused when you were growing up. So like you said earlier in the episode, most of the life you knew was from your mom's side because your dad wasn't around till later. Despite you being knowing that world, being comfortable in that world and that being all you knew as a young child, you still somehow felt out of place or the people yeah. you grew up with made you feel out of place? Well, oh, uh, so I, I'll say this. One thing that I've never experienced in my entire life is, uh, is, is a mixed race person is walking into a room full of white people and being embraced as white. Mm. Never happened. I've always been black. Uh, you know, and my mom even experienced some things uh, because she had two black children, uh, even inside of her own family. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I did. You can feel it. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. You know that you're different. I mean, you can. I mean, look, as soon as you have any self, uh, uh, you know, understanding of self in any kind of a way. And it's not like I'm, I'm light enough to you know, blend in in some kind of a way or those kinds of things. I mean, I've always been, you know, I, I, it was clearly, right? And, uh, and and so, you know, I often put that like now, you know, there's two reasons. Like some people say, well, you're mixed race. So why wouldn't you, you know, call yourself mixed? I, I identify as a black man. And, and I do so not because I don't understand Caucasian culture, not because they're really... You know, you're American. There's a whole story behind that as well. Not all white people are from the Caucasus Mountains, but you know, the so you know, people say like, why do you uh, why do you identify as a black man only? And and you know, and I do, like I said, I do love my family. I, I do understand you know those pieces, and I, I thank them again for the, the the experiences that I've had and the the understanding that they you know that afforded me. Um, and quite honestly, the privilege that it afforded me, I mm-hmm. have a privilege that other people do not have, um, who are in my same experience, uh, because of that. 
So I don't take that lightly and I don't dismiss that in some kind of a way either. Uh, I think that that would be, uh, you know, irresponsible and, and, and a fallacy. It would be a lie, you know, to myself. Uh, however, as I continue to get older and I continue to, to kind of understand some things, which California really brings in to the, to the story, um, you know, I had to make a decision at one point and I'm like, okay, well, one, how does the world see me? Right. They see me as a black man. And two, who needs me more? Mm. Does the, the Euro-American culture need me more? Right? Or uh, does... Why do you feel wanted? Yeah, and that's the other really crazy piece, you know, honestly, because there's been many times like that, that I've been in some way, you know, like I'm not black enough to be black. <laughs> uh, you know, African descended, and I'm not white enough to be white. And so Preach. that's where that kind of, you know, confused place comes in. But, you know, I, I often say, you know, check my heart, hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I fight daily uh, in ways to advance uh, what I consider my people, what I consider, you know, much more closely related to my spirit, uh, to, to my heart, you know, to the uh, my my social justice lens, like all of those things, you know, are, are much more aligned, my communal kind of way of being. Mm. Uh, all of me is is really much more aligned with that black side, even though I do understand uh, and know uh, the, uh, the the white side of myself. white side. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, and I can relate to that a little bit. Not fitting in, and even among young people, some people kind of like questioning that. Um, do you belong here or whatever? And you behave different. Like someone like me, I most of my friends think I dress different. <laughs> I don't dress air quote black. Right, 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 right. Like I grew up with a military father and he didn't really allow cursing in the house. So I don't really curse. Not that I see anything wrong with cursing. It's just that I didn't grow up like that. Yeah. And, you know, all those things coming together, like, yeah. dude, you don't necessarily... Yeah. So I'm like, what? Like, am I? And you know, it's you don't fit in on this side, you don't fit in on that side. So you're yeah. just kind of like in the middle. And honestly, the person I can relate to the most is Issa Rae, the comedian. She's, I know. She's yeah, she's cool. kind of, yeah, she, she's like in the middle, like me. She's yeah. just like yeah. that. She's funny, but you know, she's like catered. Yeah. I don't want to say catered, but she's right in the middle. So she, I really like relate to her and her material. But mm -hmm. you no, know, just to piggyback off what you said. But talk to me about California. How mo how old were you when you moved there? What was that experience like? Uh, what, what major thing happened yeah. to give you that realization uh, in California? So I, I wanna I'm gonna back up just a little bit and, mm -hmm. and and because I think that the shortest distance between two people is a story and uh, that was from Kyle Wark. Uh, I did a I did a uh, I was speaking at the Aspen Institute uh, in 2014 and we did kind of like a TED style uh, talks and uh, and he said that and that's just stuck with me forever, right? Uh, but anyhow, there's this huge part of like the me now. Uh, which I know we'll, we'll get to a little bit more, but there's this huge part of the me now that, that recognizes this like gigantic diversity, uh, in people. And it's why I call like African descended people born in America or African descended mm. people or African immigrants. Like, you know, there's like, there's, but even in, even in that, right? Like, you know, all Africans are not 
from one country, number mm-hmm. one, right? Uh, they did not all have the same experience. They did mm-hmm. not all act the same, right? Uh, just the same as, as uh, African-descended people born in America um, have had a very different experience, right? And 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 we're, we don't all act the same or like fit into this, but, you know, there's this, you know, this pressure because of the popularity of the... Uh, the, the African-American culture, especially, uh, you know, is popular all over the world, right? And I think like there's that because of that soldier kind of sense or, you know, whatever it may be uh, that is so attractive and has now like kind of gotten that, uh, uh, you know, the title of, you know, you're not acting black if you don't act this way or you don't dress this way or whatever. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like we are so diverse beyond that. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely hear you in, even in that. And, uh, uh, so anyhow, but, uh, we moved to California and, and this is, you know, I mean, it wasn't LA, but it wasn't far away from LA. Probably. Uh, I was in fourth grade. I was okay. eight years old. Um, and like I said, my mom had raised me. So like my, pretty much my entire shore, my family here is more kind of like a traditional black family. Uh, you know, that the people might kind of consider traditional, uh, quote unquote, whatever that means. Uh, anyways, so I, I knew them. Right. But I wasn't immersed in that. What I really had gotten immersed into before moving to California was like black revolutionaries. Right. So like we were the inventors, like we created this plan, like all this stuff. And now those were through the books, right? You through read the books, right? Mm. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, like I, I like these are the things that I like really held as like what it meant to be black. Right. And then I moved to California and I see pants hanging off of asses and you know you you hear the nigga this and the nigga and you know all these things that like were so counter to what i had always thought of what it was and maybe that's like what kind of born the sense of like social just and change is that no we're not just that uh uh we're not niggas we are like kings and queens right and, and getting us back to that place. Uh, so that was very interesting. And I met the, I, I definitely met the streets. Um, I was still very impressionable. I was a young boy, right? And and I see this culture, like this urban or street or hip hop or gang culture. And, uh, and it was all around me. You know, I mean, people identified even in fourth grade, right? Uh, we're identifying really? as Bloods and Crips. And, <laughs> and that was around the time, like, this was 1991. No, 19. It must have been like 89. The, the previous started like in the 70s, right? So this yeah, was just community right revolution after. in progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came out of, uh, you know, both like really came out of like community revolution in progress, Black Panthers, yeah. you know, all of that kind of created the Bloods, the Crips, uh, the Disciples and Vice Lords. Uh, but it was really these very well organized tribes that were yeah. there to protect their communities, right? Yeah, and as Cointelpro, you know, came into into play. That's the FBI program, right? The FBI program that introduced uh, crack into our communities and drugs of all sorts and guns and you know, um, because the Willie Lynch letter uh, was still in, in very uh, uh, you know very powerful effect uh, of turning us against each other, and you know they knew what they had done throughout history and, and how that had occurred in the systemic kind of ways that, you know, slavery here was done in such a more vile way, 
I don't know any other way to say it than it's ever been done throughout the course of history. And, you know, in those systemic, you know, historical traumas, you know, becoming part of that DNA. So, you know, it, it, uh, but it's, it's also like a powerful culture, right? Like that, that gang culture, because you know, like I, you know, I honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with gangs, mm-hmm. right? I think gangs are phenomenal. Like, you know, associations. Uh, you, grew just the you grew up in a different time, maybe. Yeah. Well, I know, mean, because some might argue that it's it spiraled in some neighborhoods, like it spiraled out of control. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? People think gangs are bad, right? But gangs are nothing more than tribes. Mm-hmm. Nothing more than tribes. And tribes have been a phenomenal thing, right? Like a sense of identity. No, I agree. The, the idea of gangs. The behaviors well. are bad. Yeah. That's the distinction. Right, the the association is not bad. It's the behaviors the behavior. of preying on each other, mm. which is the bad thing, right? And, and and so that I I dismiss fully, right? Like those behaviors. Whereas I don't think that like because you're a blood or a cripper or disciple or vice lord or whatever, like I don't think that's bad in in and of itself. And I think that. You know, now, like you look at Nipsey Hussle and, you know, what happened, uh, what happened there and like the marathon continuing versus like the Tupac, like what would have Tupac have, have been saying and doing if you really look at like his progression as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and where he was coming to realize and realize. How he was able to like move people. You know what? You, you seem to have like, uh, you seem to be like very knowledgeable and have an understanding of what it is about, like, gangs and gang culture but not everyone has to understand that. and people tend to fear what they don't understand right period so yeah yeah you can't you can't really blame a lot of people no and i mean it's scary like yeah. they they shoot people mm-hmm. they really do mm-hmm. you know what i mean like they really will beat you up uh like it's not a game like it's not fake right so yeah. like, there's a reason to be scared to to an extent mm-hmm. not if you have the courage and the authenticity to get to know the people. Now, what happens around that culture, right? Too often uh, is 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 really a uh, you know you can be caught in something that has absolutely nothing to do with you. Right? Mm. But when you really get to know the people that are a part of it, uh, you find some of the absolute most intelligent, most uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's people. Now, I'm not saying everybody is, but like when you look at some of the leaders and this and that and the other thing inside of that culture, like any other, uh, you know, I mean, I've never seen people who can can like uh, understand the psychology of other people more than Damn. gang leaders. I've mm-hmm. never seen it. Right? Because their yeah. life depends on it sometimes, so they have really? to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it, it, again, I mean, the the. The, the people are like, you know, they're, they're fiercely loyal. They are, you know, all of these good qualities um, that are jaded by the pain, the trauma that they've experienced, the, you know, I mean, when you grow up, you know, uh, watching and seeing and being a part of the things, like, what else are you supposed to do? You're going to gotcha. become a victim or you're going to become and, a predator, right? And is that part of the things that influenced you when you were in California because well, it was around you? Yeah, I, I'll say this. So what happened is, is the, uh, you know, the, the first ones to like really come around me were the, were the Bloods, which was a huge minority. 
and because I look so weird, uh, I had on Wranglers and probably a brush popper shirt. <laughs> My first day in school, they were like, bruh, come here, man. Like, you are going to get fucked up out here. You know what I mean? Like, that was just, they're like, and then, uh, you know, so it was just kind of that, that arm around the shoulder to help kind of guide. And then as they saw me, you know, I also met like sports there, right? So I met mm. basketball and football. And once they saw me there, they're like, and kind of who I was, they're like, you're not cut out for this, right? Um, so I've never been in a game, right? Like I understood it very well. I, I don't, you know, I, I have a relationship. I don't, I've never been in a game because they didn't want me there, right? Like they didn't, uh, they were in a sense trying to protect me from, you know, that life. And, you know, knowing that I came from somewhere different and then seeing my skills on the court, right? Seeing my skills on a football field. So. And did you get that from your father, maybe, genetics-wise, your skills on the oh, court? Oh, man, that dude, is, that dude is dope. So, you know, I mean, you know, there there is certainly a, a, a sense there. And then, you know, my sister's father, I'm also very close to. So it's so weird. Like, I grew up without a dad, but now I have a close relationship with both my sister's father and mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of them, you know, one, uh, uh, you know, Horace Kearney, uh, people call him Coach Kearney, you know, my sister's father, he, uh, you know, he was there for me from the beginning, sent money to this, you know, to the vacations, all that kind of thing. Although he wasn't in the house, he was here in Colorado the whole time, but he coached at Skyland 33 years. So he raised up half of Park Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, Park Hill is a, a very... You know, famous neighborhood here. It's a blood neighborhood, you know, those kinds of things. And uh, Chauncey Billups might be a, a familiar name to many people, and Rodney and Calais Campbell. And so he had plenty, like the few pros that came out uh, of his center. And, you know, so basketball, football coach. And then my father was, you know, very talented. Both of them graduated from Manual High School uh, on the east side, and both of them have state championships there. You know, my sister's father ended up going to DU, uh, playing basketball for them. At the University of Denver? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where he met my mom. And then my father uh, ended up, like I said, uh, you know, meeting my mom after uh, uh, she was divorced from uh, my sister's dad. And, you know, and they know each other, but then he goes over to Europe and he's playing pro ball over there. So, you know, I had that always, you know, very close to me as well. And uh, cowboys are nothing but white athletes, you know what I mean? Mm. Like they, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, just in, in what they do and, and the strength and the kind of the sinew there. So, I mean, it, it was definitely all around me. And a lot of people look at me and be like, oh, you're kind of skinny until they meet my strength, right? So, you know, I, I attribute a lot of that to kind of those upbringings and, and picking up, you know, bales of hay and, and uh, you know, messing with steers, right? So, wow. uh you know, so there's there's uh, that sense. And, you know, and I, I really fell in love with, you know, with sports. And that's really some ways it like they saved my life. So but my mom also saw my involvements and this, uh, the other thing. So as my sister graduated from high school in India, you know, she tried to move me right away uh, back into the country mm -hmm. uh, in New Mexico, which was close to, to where my grandparents, uh, uh, you know, were at and her parents and uh that didn't work for super long. I went to a small school called Moriarty. And, you know, we had an undefeated eighth grade season. Uh, I think basketball, we might have lost one game. 
freshman year, we went undefeated, both basketball and football. Let, uh, let me ask this question. Now you are on the team, right? When you move back to New Mexico, you are part of those undefeated seasons, oh, yeah. right? I, <laughs> okay. I, I, Did that make you popular in school? I'll tell you what, man. I came the first the first day I came from California, I had on uh, the uh, cross colors. Mm. Cross colors, super yeah, bright fashion. clothes yeah. and all of that kind of thing. So like green shorts and yellow turkey. In New Mexico. In New Mexico. Mm, right? Gotcha. I can and picture it right now. <laughs> <laughs> four lines in my eyebrows. You know, okay. I still had that, that street culture, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, my hair was different long, you know, all of that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, and I sat on the bench and I swear to not that every person <laughs> in that school came up to look at me like I was some kind of model in the, the, the museum or something. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then, yeah, once I got on the court, I mean, it, and uh, in the field, it, absolutely. I mean, I, I dated the governor's granddaughter wow. uh, and uh, some other folks that, that uh, in, in that space. And so did you witness less resistance or discrimination because of your ability compared to the third grade when you were, you know, discrimination? Yeah, like you couldn't. It, that would have been real dumb to mm. talk to me real crazy. Anybody. You know what I mean? After at that point, uh, you know, I still had all of the attributes of like understanding and being in the streets. I would knock you out. Right. So that wasn't a couple people tried me. It, it didn't work very well. And then nobody wanted to try me anymore. Right. And and so that was uh, kind of a different experience. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, popularity, you know, all of those things, I was able to get away with more. I was, you know, it, so being an athlete's kind of weird that way, uh, mm. for sure. But anyway, so I, but I couldn't stay there. My best friend left and my, uh, my freshman year at the end of my freshman year. So going into my sophomore year, he, you know, he was gone. I still played uh, football and basketball there, but without him, it just was not the same. He was also, you know, he was, very similar life story other than his father was like number two in the world and uh, American kickboxing. So he taught wow. American kickboxing. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was, I think he won state. I don't think I know that he won state all four years in New Mexico and the 400. So, you know, the 400, the 400. Yeah. And I think his that? senior. So that's one time around the track. Oh, okay. You uh, mean the, okay. 400 yeah, so, meter. Okay. Yeah. 400 meter. And okay. then I think his senior year, junior and senior year, he won like, anyways, I mean, he was a phenomenal athlete as well. So like us together was like an unstoppable duel. Uh, I had another friend uh, that could shoot the lights out uh, and uh, he was still there. But like I said, it just wasn't the same without, because he was Caucasian and, you know, without that foundation, my best friend uh, there, I, I began to really not like being there. So, and I, I got arrested, 16 felony counts, uh, and uh, started playing and, you know, taking my mom's car and going in Albuquerque at night and, you know, messing up and kind of going back to that, that street kind of uh, life and space. And, you know, when the police came and, and uh, they didn't take me to jail, I was pissed. I was like, please don't take me to my mama. Please don't take me to my mama. And uh, they drove me to my mama's house. And, uh, you know, when I get out of the police car in handcuffs, uh, and they tell her what's going on, you know, and I get out, like, I just saw my mom's heartbreak right there, you know, and uh, I don't know that our relationship, you know, has ever quite been the same since, uh, but, uh, 
yeah, so that was that. And, uh, uh, you know, so I came up to live with my father. Uh, he was living in Douglas County at the time. So I go right back into that space. So now I don't have a name necessarily. I'm still the athlete that I was, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I really experienced some deep, you know, racism there. You know, I walked into the bathroom, go home, niggers on the mirrors. You know, I mean, there's like, uh, you know, Castle Rock was like a uh, national headquarters of the KKK. You know what I mean? Like really? Up in the mountains, you know, just uh, uh, just west of uh, Castle Rock. So it was, it was a very racist place. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I made it there for about eight months. You know, uh, didn't get along with my father. I didn't understand what respecting uh, uh, respect meant in a black family. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, I told him, fuck you to his face because uh, he wanted me to fold laundry instead of go to school um, on time. And uh, that didn't work out so well for, for me. So the because uh, I couldn't bring myself to, to like fight him. So anyways, that was a crazy situation. But shortly after that, I, you know, I, I just made a decision that I wasn't going to you know, move home to either one of their houses. Uh, my pops and my sister's dad. Really, How old were you? 16. Mm -hmm. Um you know, the, he really wanted me to come live with him. You know, East High School wanted me real bad. Yeah, I was going to ask like, about that. Do you think about yeah. going, like, college? Like, <sighs> man, right. man. So I was, at this point, like, I was really, like, a well-known. And uh, like I said, East High School, you know, because they had the connection with my dad. They won state in 98. So if I would have came with him, just based on his personality, I probably would have made it. Definitely would have gone to college, as many connections as he had. Uh, but I was, you know, I mean, after everything, you know, I had a God complex in, in Albuquerque. I'll be honest mm, with you. That's I a real thought, thing, right? Yeah. You felt nobody could touch me. You know, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm this. And, you know, so I, I just, you know, I went back to Albuquerque and made that decision rather than going to, to stay with uh, Coach Kearney. That was probably one of the, if I could change one thing. I would say that would have been the decision, right, that I would have changed because, you know, I go and, you know, become all state. I'm at Valley High School and uh, then I get kicked out two games into my senior basketball season. Um, so if you could change days. one thing, you would have stayed. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think of it like that when I mm. made the decision. So I don't think that it would be I would have I would have accepted rules. Gotcha. I would have accepted structure. Right. And, mm. and gone to uh, to stay with him. And rather than, you know, just this haphazard way of, of being and living, right, uh, you know, or the street culture, you know, but, uh, uh, but I did go back to Albuquerque, like I said, and went to a different school there, uh, you know, some amazing friendships, amazing experiences, uh, I was living on my own, uh, had all of that. Of course, you have to support yourself. So 16, I wow. really got into selling drugs deep and, um, and, uh, you know, and I had seven scholarships at the time, you know, coming in through my senior year and uh, and I lost everything, you know. And that's when I really I went off the deep end at that point. And I spent two years and I don't really go into a lot of details about uh, deep underground. And, uh, you know, and I woke up one day and I said, look, this is not who my mama raised me to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to I need to just get and all this time move. within that two years. Your parents didn't really know what you were doing. I mean, and this nobody. Is, this, is, <laughs> wait, wait, this is Albuquerque. I remember watching an exhibit interview, and he said he was from Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah, he was and on the south side. I was like, what? Because yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when I think Albuquerque, the name alone, I just 
think yeah, it's... Yeah, nobody thinks that it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, because I'm like, exhibit? Albuquerque? Gateway. How? The gateway, right? It's the gateway. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So it, it, please don't get Albuquerque twisted. A lot of people do not know. Gotcha. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was what it was. Uh, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot. And, you know, and I just, I came. I didn't have a GED. Put all my stuff. I gave everything away that I had earned that way. Uh, I'm really pissed about some of it that I let go uh, because I could have come to Colorado set. But I, I, you know, in the moment, I didn't want any of it. And, uh, uh, and I left everything there except for my clothes, my keepsakes and my important paperwork. Threw it in the car, drove to Denver, decided to come and be with family. You know, and like I said, I mean, it took me a few years, like I said, until my son uh, came before I really got out of it. But I at least stopped and more, you know, the hard drugs and, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I did survive a little bit with, uh, uh, you know, an industry that is now legal in Colorado. Um, yeah, uh, so we'll talk about that. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, it just was what it was. But that's what I think in so many ways. I mean, there was just this lostness. There was this, uh, you know, even though I had people that would have loved me, would have supported me, uh, you know, you get this, uh, this, this feeling that you, you know, that, that nobody can, you don't, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that's really what has forged, um, you know, where I am today and like, and then what I, I became professionally once I got here, um, worked at East High School in George Washington doing college admissions counseling, got myself into college in like two and a half weeks with no GED to start with. Wow. They told me it was impossible. How do you like, do that? You're not going <laughs> to be able to start in two and a half weeks. I got here on August like 2nd or 8th or something like that. School started on the 22nd. I was like, watch me. I just knew that I had to change mm -hmm. the entire trajectory of like what I was doing. I what? thought I'd be able to walk on a Metro State's basketball team until coach looked at me like, do you know that we're two-time uh, national champions? I was like, so? Like, did I recruit you? I was like, no. He's like, well, then what are you doing here? I was like, Ugh. Anyway, so that was for basketball. Okay, let me ask you a question there. Does it help? And I'm saying this maybe for the listeners that are listening. You had two and a half weeks to get into college, but you had a goal. You wanted to go. And because of that goal or that objective, you're able to get yourself to do what you're supposed to do to achieve that. Does it help when, especially young people, have some form of, I wouldn't say ambition because ambition is personal, right? Is they are given some kind of objective or goal and that kind of like stares them in the right direction and not, you know, make them be all over the place. Uh, you haven't worked with a lot of young people in high schoolers and things in the past. Have, has that been your experience that once young people like have a goal that makes it better for them to live a more structured life towards that goal? You, you have to. Mm -hmm. Without a purpose, without something that you are working towards, I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face. I also understand this, that, you know, from those years of, of working and, you know, I worked at the spot, I worked in, uh, you know, parks and rec and like community recreation. Uh, uh, you know, I, I ran family leadership training. I thought you meant parks sites. and recs, a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. Denver parks and rec. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, so, you know, so I, I've, I've worked with about, you know, I don't know, three, 4,000 like individuals, uh, if not a little bit more in terms of caseloads and, 
you know, the well over a thousand families. And, uh, uh, you know, that was like the setting the foundation for more of my social entrepreneurship. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, 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 the one, two things, yes, you must have a purpose that is absolutely, you cannot teach that. You cannot give that. It must come from them as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, how they're raised, the experiences that they have, what they're able to see, the hope that they have, how supported they feel, all of those are absolutely critical in, in creating that. You know, beyond that is that they really do hear what you say. It's the craziest thing. You will think that you have not made a dent, right? And I've had people come up to yeah. me, you know, years later, like, you remember when you told me? <laughs> and I'm like, no. You know, and I remember that when I was working with you, like, yeah. I didn't think that you were, you know, hearing anything. And that's like and my like, mom telling changed. me when you have kids, you understand. Yes. I, I still remember that. <laughs> it, it sticks with you, right? It that sticks makes sense. with you, even though, you know, you don't see it right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it matters, I think, for people, right, out there that, that it matters, you know, stopping and saying, hey, you know, think about what you're doing right now. The way that young people are talking, the way that they are demonstrating things that they're doing, you know, men walking up, men or women, right, uh, adults walking up and saying something to them, even though you think that, you know, they may even cuss you out, right, mm-hmm. while you're walking away, but it means something and they hear you, right? And Words it, matter. They matter. Okay, so you moved to Denver, uh, you started interacting with the youth going to the community. Let me talk to you about some of the organizations you founded or co-founded or involved with. Uh, a couple of them, everything tends to center around diversity, equity, uh, community. Rich but the Denver African-American philanthropy? Denver African-American philanthropist? Yeah. Philanthropist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Talk to me about that. So that's actually a giving circle. Um, that I, like I was one of the founding members, uh, that really came out of the, the Denver Foundation and, uh, what's called the Community Investment Network. And so that's a national organization. Uh, we were the first ones west of the Mississippi, um, mm. to start. And so some really phenomenal brothers were kind of brought together, um, by LaDawn Sullivan at the Denver Foundation and, uh, uh, she said, look, you know, we see y'all's work and, you know, we've been able to, to keep that group together and going. And, you know, even though it, it may not, you know, we've been able to give money out to the community, but the really the big thing in that is, that is, is changing the perception of, of what it is and, and how people see us and how we see ourselves. Like we're not always asking, right? Like we give. And actually, if you look at like, you know, the uh, black people, we actually give more than anybody because we'll give you the shirt off of our back. We'll give you, you know, we're going to feed you if you come through. Like, you know, yeah. those things, uh, you know, are, are are powerful. So, you know, creating more formal giving circles, you know, is, is what them African-American philanthropists are about. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. What about Metro Deep? Um, that's a, I think that's one of the organizations I... I think that's the organization I was introduced to you yeah, yeah, with. Yeah. Uh, and it's the Metro Denver Economic Equity Project. Yes, yes. Um, well, I, I have to back up real quick. Okay. Uh, and, you know, and, and my foundations and community were started uh, with and through Brother Jeff. So when I mm-hmm. first got here, 
Uh, and Brother Jeff, for our listeners, is a really popular figure here in Denver. Yeah, he's really he's, into uh, the community. Uh, Brother Jeff, uh, brotherjeff.com. You know, you can go and check him out and, and see what he's up to. Uh, you know, but I, I, I've asked I'll him to be honor. on the podcast, by the way. Yeah, well, we'll <laughs> you know, and, and it's a, it's a, uh, it's interesting. You know, there's there's an interesting journey and everything, but I, I believe in, in giving respect where respect is due, but. You know, I threw myself into into community through him. Like I just looked for the most visible thing um, when I first got here, and that was like you know how that we you know worked together about three years, two years, something like that. And, and uh, you know, he's always remained a mentor in different ways. And you know, I could go through so many people uh, who helped to to really become the my mentors, the the foundations, and those that have certainly come before me that mean, you know, that, that mean everything. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to take some kind of credit as if like I just came up with these things out of the the, the total blue, right? You were inspired. Uh, but yeah, people that have inspired me, and there's there's many around Denver that have, and uh, y'all know who you are. So that means it's important to live your life to be like an inspiration to other people also that's also important i'm just picking out nuggets yeah. here and there yeah. have a purpose have an objective yeah. try to live your life or model your life in a way where someone can look at you and say hey i want to be like that person and it might not be like all around like in a particular aspect i just like the way i don't know he dresses i like the way yeah. he yeah. moves yeah. I, yeah. I love what he does with his family i love the way he treats his wife and his kids yeah i want to be like him in this regard yeah so living your life with purpose is not only good for you but will also inspire someone else to if if we can if we can uh if we can change or inspire one person our job mm. is our job has been done so. each one teach one right each one, each one, each one. Uh, yeah, and I use that in a lot of ways. And, and fatherhood, you know, so I'm the, the, the board president for Fatherhood Sports Services now. Fatherhood has been a huge uh, theme and, and kind of way and reason. It's it's a way that many people recognize me in Denver, right, is through fatherhood stuff. Um, and uh, so that was very important. And then so Metro Deep, though, you know, moving to, to that. Its foundation is actually from Diversity Dynamics. Diversity Dynamics is the, the really the parent company to uh, several different projects um, and, uh, and and social endeavors, uh, social uh, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. And so, you know, we have Travel Africa where we want to take groups of fifteen adults and youth, you know, back and forth from uh, Africa and, and uh, really have people see what like the real part is in Africa. Has, has any, any many group, people? Has any group gone so far? We have one coming in from Uganda. Uh, gotcha. That'll be our first. We almost had CSU landed. We were about a thousand dollars off from what they could uh, uh, actually afford, and and so they were going to. But we're gonna get it done. Uh, we're gonna get that first group going. Um, you know, and uh, we got the first one coming. So, you know, but that's like a you know it's a it's a, it's a vision kind of piece that that we want to. You know, be able to, to utilize wealth that we build here to start buying back our continent, right? In gotcha. different ways. And, you know, and then there's, uh, there's, there's other stuff, um, you know, that, that we've, that those are some important ones. Uh, but, you know, diversity dynamics is, is really that. It's the, the umbrella, um, you know, company to everything else that I do. And again, you know, that, that vision, uh, that message of one healthy generation of children is what drives us. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll send uh, some information around, you know, mission and all that kind of stuff uh, that people can check out. But 
But Metro Deep is is actually something that started. And again, here's another place to, to kind of give. You know, there was a lot of people that came together through community. Uh, Colorado Black Women for Political Action played a huge role in the beginning of, of what at that time we were calling Black Utopia, that then turned into like the, the melanated uh, economic revolution. And yeah, Eastside Unified and NAACP and uh, Colorado Black Leadership Coalition and Brother Jeff and you know, so a lot of folks came together to, to uh, you know, for us to really facilitate through, you know, what a, uh, a community-driven effort would, would really look like. It didn't have any funding or anything else. It was just something that we funded out of our pockets. And, uh, uh, you know, it's diversity dynamics in an organization. But, you know, it wasn't something that I could let die, right? Because after all the years of working with families and, you know, and this and that and the other thing, the biggest thing that you know, came to in every conversation that people needed money and that needed to be different, right? And so, you know, it, it just born in me that like economics, like truly, truly, truly is at the root. I mean, we can change politics and if we still don't own ourselves, right? If mm. we don't own our economy, it, it makes it hard to be respected. It makes it hard to, you know, this and that and the other. So how can we do that? Because <laughs> as a community, yeah, there's tremendous spending power, right? There's yeah. tremendous influence because, like you said, trillion dollars, absolutely. Black yeah. culture is more or less popular culture. Yeah, yeah. Hip hop culture is more or less popular culture. Yeah. So well, you have that much influence, you have that much spending power. How do we turn it yeah. into economic power for the community? And, and, and that's what Metro Deep is is mm. really about. And, and and I will say this also that you know Metro Deep is is not something that that you know we don't know where you know the next four months will tell us exactly where we're going to go, but. Uh, it, it doesn't, uh, we don't know if diversity dynamics going to always own it as a project. Will it start and, you know, be its own thing? Will it be absorbed by, uh, you know, another organization in the community? You know, what will it be? But, you know, our, so it's, it, it's not this sense of like feeding my permanence. Like we have other ways that, you know, I'm the director, you know, of, of Colorado and a solar minority owned, uh, business solar company. So, I mean, there's other ways for, for us to uh, uh, sustain financially. So I'm not doing this for that purpose. Uh, Metro Deep um, or the Denver Economic Equity Project really is about bringing together all of the different parts that are moving like economy forward from Denver, right? Specifically in the beginning where we're really recording that process to your larger question of like, how do we actually do that? When we think about the $3.4 trillion a year that if our spending power, um, the fact that a dollar stays in our neighborhood for, you know, less than six hours, whereas, you know, like the Jewish community and many, many others, uh, you know, the you know, Jewish community is 33, you know, 33 times that that dollar recycles hands um, and, and stays in for some ridiculous amount of days. I can't remember what it is uh, right now, but, uh, you know, I mean, I know that they recycle it 33 times before it ever even thinks about leaving their community, right? And it's created wealth, you know, each dollar all the way through and, and things that we just don't do. So, I mean, I think that the model and like what we are supposed to do already exists, right? But it's really having ownership of all of the things that we have created through that popular culture. We've created sports in many ways. We've, you know, we created hip hop. We created, you know, all these things that we do not own because our own people are not in the positions of the ownership because of the systemic pieces, because of, you know, all of the stuff that's a part of that. But I'm going to back up real quick and just say what Metro Deep is up to. Um, so we 
building a strategic plan. And that strategic plan needs to be community informed and driven. Mm. Uh, we're building a curriculum of how to work better together. Mm. And that how to work better together is like that won't be the final name or anything like that. But, you know, we've, we've created that from a place of healing, doing some healing from the traumatic, uh, the, the historical trauma. Mm. And then uh, also like raising our economic IQ, right? Like understanding how to make insurance work, how to yeah. understand taxes, how to like some of those pieces that are so critical that we actually can use to and leverage those, right some now. Some people might argue that the system wasn't built for you, so it doesn't I'm matter. Trying to understand it, the it doesn't. It doesn't matter whether mm -hmm. the system was built for us or not. Yeah, right? so understand it either way. Once you understand it, right? Mm -hmm. Once you understand the Constitution, once you understand how insurance works, how estate plans work, how the law works, how, how credit all of works, those, how credit works, mm -hmm. how taxes work, you know, you're able to do more True. and create our own way through that, right? True. And so, you know, but the healing from the historical trauma, because trust ultimately is the biggest thing that keeps us uh, separated, divided and everything else that there is. And then uh, and then we bring that into then how we actually work better together. And rather than building it into cohorts, right, where people who don't know each other are coming together. And, you know, when they end, of course, there's going to be some friendships and, you know, things like that. And people will have connected, and probably, you know, some of them for lifetimes. I've done I don't know how many cohorts, you know, over my years. Uh, uh, but you know, it doesn't, it's not the same as if we drop that into a family, unit, right? Whether mm. that be a church unit, whether that be an actual family, whether an that be already a friend existing group, structure, an existing structure of mm. people, 10 to 15, right? That you then take this curriculum and learn through it. And we come together with people who are, are doing that, um, periodically so that we can kind of check in and facilitate through some things, make sure that we're being guided, right? Um, so that curriculum is getting developed also an entrepreneurial pipeline. We know that there's a lot of people doing a lot of things already. Um, and so rather than to recreate the wheel, you know, the entrepreneurial pipeline looks like bringing together organizations that are working uh, at the level of, uh, you know, building basic, you know, financial strength. Right. So you're you know building your credit, uh, getting your budgets together, you know, all of those kinds of things, which we're working primarily with Operation Hope in. Uh, but also we're bringing others and we're doing beginning entrepreneurship, right? Uh, where you start to get those concepts, start to understand what ownership means, like yeah. how we recycle our dollars, those kinds of things. And then advanced entrepreneurship so we can start to grow and scale our businesses. And then the fourth tier is really the civic, uh, the, the civic give back and how we increase our brand understanding or our, our brand recognition through giving back to our community in some kind of meaningful way, right? So Urban Leadership Foundation would be working with primarily there and, you know, and others as well, where there's, you know, these opportunities to, to now give back. You've made it to a certain point, right? So shouldn't you? Um, so this is long-term for you. So, well, we'll we're going to get the, the systems built and then over, and then overall, what we also is really building financial institutions, community development, financial institutions, uh, credit unions, banks, and then nonprofit kind of management systems as well, so that all of the dollars that are currently given at really big rates, right, to these larger institutions that are not owned by us, right, yeah. are now being owned by us. We build that in the Denver metro area, and then we record that entire process so that we can move that forward, you know, share that with other communities and or help other communities to, to be able to build that. But at the end of the day, it's really just bringing all those dots together because people are already working on this. Let me ask you a question. 
So you've throughout your life, you know, you've been involved in teaching in one form or the other, whether it's working with young people, working with the community, developing the curriculum, uh, influencing people. You've been involved with imparting knowledge on other people. But to flip it, do you have any advice or from your experience? I guess my question is, how do we teach people to learn? Like, we, we can want the best for our community. We can want to teach our community. We can want the best for the youth. But how do we position, how can people learn? Do you have, in your experience, you know, impact and knowledge to both individuals and communities I'm, and groups. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this that that I don't do community, you know, quote unquote community events anymore. Hmm. I I I've come to a realization that only the individual and those closest to that individual have the ability to influence their desire, influence all of that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that I can't be some inspiration or others can't be some kind of inspiration. I mean, if we have our, our, you know, rap artists start talking about learning, right? I mean, the entire nation would change, right? If our athletes were to stand up and say more about it, um, you know, people with that, that influence and the influence of popular culture, uh, I think hold a huge responsibility there. But in terms of what I can do is I can only align with people who already get it. A lot of us get it already, mm. right? A lot of us get it. So I'm not first starting with like, everybody. First right? starting with like-minded people. Absolutely. Then from there. Prove something with mm. those like-minded people. And as people see success, success breeds success, and other people want to follow it, be follow. a part of it, you know, those kinds of things. So I'm squarely focused on connecting with people who are already in some way get it put together how we get it together mm. and go from there because I can't teach anybody to learn. They got to want to do it on their own. That, that makes a lot of sense actually. And, you know, I, even with this podcast, like people who listen, like it's, well, we don't talk about, I don't know, Nicki Minaj getting married or any popular culture. Like it's a really specific for, for, for you to listen, you know, that you're someone who's like interested in culture or interested in learning about yeah. other people or, in a way, maybe have experienced other cultures or I, I just, it's just fascinated, you know, in a way. So that makes a lot of sense. And you've dropped quite a number of nuggets here today. And, you know, I just hope that people listening at home have, you know, taken away, you know, something that they can use in their lives. Yeah. But yeah, thank you very much for being here. Is there anything you like to like put out there? Is there anything you like to? Yeah, I mean, definitely keep on checking out uh, uh, www.metrodeep.com. Uh, we will be uh, unveiling a platform that, uh, that that we've been working on for some time uh, that is, you know, it's really Facebook 3.0 uh, meets, you know, uh, Yelp meets, a few other pieces. But anyways, it's going to be dope. It's called Diverge Central. Uh, we'll be, you know, you can look out on metrodeep.com for what that is, as well as like the, you know, more simple website for diversity dynamics. Uh, you know, you can definitely find me on Facebook, Benzel Jimerson, connect there. And uh, I love connecting with people uh, and, and sharing information. And, uh, uh, you know, and I'm, again, I'm looking for those, you know, folks out there uh, to, to connect from Africa to, to America, uh, how, who uh, are wanting to see uh, us win together, I, I guess, is the is the bottom line. And, uh, 
Uh, like I said, I love all people, uh, you know, and, and, and social justice. So it's not about a, a race thing or, you know, anything else in that sense. It's that it's time for us to come together as black people, African descended people and, uh, and reclaim where we came from. And, uh, and that's really at the bottom line what it is. And, uh, I'd love to connect with any of you and, uh, uh thank you for your time today and for your mission and your vision to, to be able to share how people are able to understand each other. Because when we take that time to understand each other in, this, in our stories, uh, I, I think mountains can move. And so thank you for your vision and your time. Yeah, definitely, definitely, anytime. And you can also follow us on social media. Also, it's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. On Twitter, it's Culture Class Pod. Send us an email. It's cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the episode. And yeah, have a great day, guys. Right on.